welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're going to continue our series, No Ordinary Family. We're up to part three. Who's enjoyed the first two parts so far? Excellent. I did. I listened to them again on podcast and uh, got blessed. That's what I do. Every Monday morning, I listen to what we shared. I listen to my own message. I listen to myself every week. And I get blessed every week. I do. I get on my treadmill every morning and, and I just listen to a message. That's what I do. He's just like, I'm running it. Oh, that's awesome, Tone. <laughs> anyway. We're up to part three, and I just want to give a bit of background for those of you who are unaware. This was written about 3,000 years ago, probably between 1011 BC to 931 BC. The author is unknown, although the uh, experts would probably say that it was the prophet Samuel. And uh, when this was written, it was in one of the lowest and darkest, bleakest points in Israel's history. It was the time of the judges. Uh, There were no kings, and as a result of having no king, people did as they saw fit. And um, it was at the time when Bethlehem, which means house of bread, was actually in famine. And the story of Ruth zooms in to a man by the name of Elimelech and his family. And this man made a decision to pick up his family and move to Moab, because there was food there unlike Bethlehem. And though it seems admirable and courageous and uh, although there seems to be a measure of wisdom in what he did, it actually proved to be disastrous and fatal. Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, dies. And then Naomi's two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry two Moabite women which was against the law at that time. And their names were Orpah and Ruth. It goes from bad to worse because two of Naomi's sons die. And after 10 years in Moab, Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem because she gets word that the famine is over. And so they make their way back to Bethlehem, and on the way to the journey, she looks at the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and tries to dissuade them from continuing, realizing, actually, you're throwing your life away. Go back home. One of them, Orpah, says, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm out of here. The other one, Ruth, clings to Naomi and refuses to let her go. And she says, I will go where you go and your people will be my people. And Naomi realises that she's not going to be able to change her mind. And so they set on their journey, their 50 mile journey to Bethlehem. And that brings me to part three of our series that I've entitled Bitter or Better. And if you would, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1, reading from verse 19 through to verse 22, which is the end of the first chapter. It says, so the, two women, so, sorry, the two women, that is Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? 
Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I love the story of Ruth. And one of the characters I love in the story of Ruth is Naomi. Unfortunately, Naomi gets a really bad rap by most commentators. But I see it slightly different than most commentators. What I see in Naomi is a faithful woman, a faithful wife, who married a foolish man that led her to a place more than likely she didn't even want to go. He took her to a place where there was no family, no friends, and had no fellowship. And after 10 years of being in this foreign land called Moab, she has no husband, no sons, and no hope. And she's now disillusioned, confused, hurt, and sad. And as a result of all these things, bitterness has begun to creep into her life. And before we get too judgmental, I think given those circumstances, any of us should be able to, any of us with a heart, should be able to sympathise with her emotional state. I mean, let's face it, we all face problems, we all face hurt, we all face issues, We all face disappointments. They're a part of life. You cannot avoid those things. But here's the good news. That none of these things in and of themselves are the problem. The problem, write this down, the problem is never the problem. The issues are never the issues. The problem comes when we don't deal with our problems. That's where the problem is. The problem is never the problem. The issue is never the issue. What the problem is, is when we don't deal with our problems. What the issue is, is when we don't deal with our issues. And as a result of not dealing with our issues, or dealing with our issues, is the difference between being bitter or better. And when we look at Naomi's life, as we're going to in a moment... Naomi did some things that I believe were both helpful and unhelpful, and we can learn from both. And if we can learn from both, we can move from being bitter to being better. And that's the aim of our series today, that we can move from a place of bitterness, a place of hurt, a place of disappointment, a place of despondency, a place where there's no hope. And we all get there from time to time. As I've already said, that in and of itself is not the problem. It's forging a way forward, getting out of that place, out of that bitter, dark, despairing place and into a brighter, better place. And as we look at the life of Naomi, she did that. From this dark, lonely, 
introverted, introspective position that she got herself in. I mean, she was so bitter, she even changed her name. But there is hope. And there's some things that Naomi did. And there's some things that Naomi didn't do. And I want to learn from both of them this morning. And they're real simple. But the first thing is this. If you want to move from bitterness or from a place of bitterness to a place that's brighter, if you want to move from bitter to better, first you've got to humble yourself. Someone once said that humility is like underwear. It's essential but indecent if it shows. You see... We see, according to the scripture, that there was famine in Bethlehem and and that famine came to an end and Naomi humbled herself and returned home. Some of you might just read over that and think, well, that's a no-brainer. That's where the food is. Why not go back there? But I don't think we're really getting involved in the story if we look at it at that level. Because for me, this is not an easy decision to make. This is not an easy decision to make because home is a place where you are known. People know you at home. And when you go back to the people that know you, you've got to confront a few things. What will they think? What will they say? And Naomi and Ruth had a 50-mile journey to think about what will the people say. With every step, it must have been a nightmare thinking, what will they say? What will they think? Who knows how they left? Maybe they left with great plans and maybe they boasted about a great future. Maybe they tried to even say, man, you guys are silly for staying here. This is going to be so much better for us. Now she's got to go back to the very people that know her who heard their dreams and who heard their plans. And with every step on the way back to Bethlehem, she's got to think about it. And I imagine that that was not only arduous because of the physicality of the journey, but just the emotional weight and baggage with every step. She had to humble herself. She had to face up to those that knew her best and say, I got it wrong. And it's one of the hardest things for all of us to do. But I believe it's one of the most essential things and one of the most important things from moving from bitterness to betterness, if there's such a word. You see, home is a place of wholeness. So you can get healed in isolation, but you can never be made whole in isolation. Remember the story where Jesus heals 10 lepers? He said he healed them all in a moment. No counselling, just healed them. You can be healed in a moment. You can be healed in isolation. And they all went away. But only one came back. Only one returned to the one who knew him the best. And Jesus looked at this man and said, wasn't there nine others? 
He said, yes. Were they all healed? Yes. But this one, this one grateful, healed leper comes and clings to Jesus. And Jesus says, you've been made whole. The others were just healed and they went off and did their own thing in isolation. At a distance from Jesus. But the one who returned found wholeness. You'll never find wholeness in isolation. You'll never find wholeness with superficial relationships. Again, we see Jesus healing a man that was possessed by loads of demons. And in a moment in a graveyard in isolation, he's healed. And the words Jesus says to him is, go back to your family. I've healed you, but wholeness comes when you do life with others. You've got to go back to your family and reconnect. So you don't get wholeness with people who don't know your past. You don't get wholeness with people who don't know you. I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. I do believe there is a time to leave the church. But you better leave well. But I tell you, most people leave church for the wrong reason. They leave church to get away from people that know them. So they can put on their mask again. And there's no wholeness found in wearing a mask in isolation around people that don't know you. I've tried to stay connected with people that know me because they're the ones who can help me. Unfortunately, what I found in my time of pastoring is most people have a lot of connections, but there's very little that are connected. We've got friends. Oh, everyone knows that on Facebook and, and Twitter and all this technology, we've got loads of friends, people that know us, but they don't know us. You can have a billion friends on Facebook and never get whole. See, healing's a physical thing. But to be made whole is something far greater than just the physical realm. The New Testament uses the word sozo and it means to be made whole emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually. That's what we need. We need people that are whole, not just healed. The trouble is, and this may sound like blasphemy, God alone is not enough. You and your little quiet times with God, ignoring the rest of the world is not enough. God created Adam. And God and Adam used to walk in the cool of the evening and they used to chat and dialogue and have fun together. And God looks down and says, this is not good. It's not good that man be alone. What do you mean alone? He was with God, yet he was alone. You can be with God and be alone. God has created us to do life with him, yes, absolutely, as the foundation, but with others. Hence the power of the church. God has given every Christian a home and it's called church, the local church, a church, a group of people that know you. 
I mentioned Paul Bernathan a minute ago, who's going to come and minister here in two weeks. He's a man who knows me. And he spoke into my life. He not only knew me, he knew something about my future and he spoke into my life. And I either had to trust him and humble myself or just say, stop picking on me and run. But I found wholeness in hanging around people that know me. Because that's where it comes. The reason some of you will never get whole is because you're not connected. You refuse to get close to people. Home is a place where people know you. And Naomi said, I'm going back home. I'd rather face the people that know me than be in isolation. I would rather humble myself and be around people that know me than live this lie in another part of the world. And so she humbles herself. You see, you can't run away from your past. You've got to sort it out. How you leave is how you live. If you leave a church badly, you'll live badly. If you must leave a church, there's a proper way. And I would encourage some of you that may have left another church, and it's not necessarily that you have to go back there and be part of it. Maybe God's saying that to you, and if so, obey that. But maybe you've just got to go back and leave well in order to live well. Because if you don't sort out your path, it will stay with you. You say, but I've been going to church now for 20 years. It doesn't matter if you haven't sorted out your past. But I've been going to church for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you haven't sorted out your past. And the way you sort out your past is with people that know you. They may not get it. They may not agree with you. They might not like it. They might try to talk you. But... As long as you can stand before God and say you've done your best. There's lots of connections, but very little connecting. And so Naomi recognizes, and this is what she does she does a U turn. It's a picture of salvation, and she goes back home. That's what repentance is. We were heading one way, and then we do a U-turn. Spelled Y-O-U. It's a U-turn. Only you can do it. I can't do a U-turn for you. Only you can do a U-turn for you. Got it? Write that down. Then Twitter it and say, Tony said it. (laughs) Only you can do it. I made a decision to go in one direction and turn around and follow Christ. But I also put myself under authority that if people that I'm under authority to say I'm going in the wrong direction, I made a decision to place myself in that place where I can listen to someone and turn around and go in the opposite direction. And so whenever I just wanted to do what I wanted to do on a Sunday and Paul Benitham would be saying, you can't do that. I'd humble myself and turn around and say, that's right, I can't. And go the opposite direction and throw myself back into what God was calling me to. 
Paul gave me advice, but I did the U-turn. Paul didn't do the U-turn for me. He can't. I can preach to you. I can do a brilliant job. But only you can make the decisions for you. You can ignore me. You can put it on the shelf. Or we can take seriously what is being said. Someone's tweeted, it's actually JT. It's come up on my iPad. How about that? (laughs) Only you can make a U-turn. I can't do a U-turn for you. Well done, JT. That's awesome. (laughs) Stop the view. I won't be able to read my notes. Don't you love technology? In Matthew 23, verse 12, it says, Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. You've got to humble yourself. Naomi humbles herself. So I'm going back home. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be kind of weird. There's going to be people rubbing their hands together. They're the ones who don't know me. But I'm going back. What I found to be true, the people that leave a church and do well are the ones that left well. And the majority just move from church to church to church, running away from people. So they can continue to wear their masks. Secondly, Naomi was honest. It says, when she returned home, the whole town was stirred. I imagine they were stirred because they were all curious as to how did it go? What's she going to tell us? How's the limelight? How's the kids? How's the grandkids going? And this is what I love about Naomi the most. That unlike many phony religious types, she's brutally honest. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. Don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I've got no sons, no husband, no hope. Four times she blames God. The Lord has made me very bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune on me. And what I love about that, she's not struck with lightning. Old Testament. God's a lot more secure than you give him credit for. Can't say that might offend God. And we put on our mask and pretend. In short, my paraphrased version of Naomi's life is, my life sucked. Stuffed it up. I've messed it up. It stinks. Nothing good has come from me going to that place. Yes, you're all right. I'm wrong. I love that. Do you know who Jesus had problems with? 
It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't those caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't those who said, I'm having a tough time. Told that story. Two men, one just waffled on about how good he was. The other guy just beat his chest, didn't even look up. and said, I'm a sinner. There's something about honesty that makes God smile. But Christians just aren't good with honesty. We'd rather do religious games. We don't like saying I'm struggling. We don't like saying this element of my life sucks. Yeah, you see me good at this. You see me good at that. That's great. But I want to tell you, this part of my life sucks. I suck at it. My life has been built on those moments. Been going to another church recently, getting help. I'm saying, you know what? We've got a great church. We have and I appreciate that. And thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's all true. Great. But this area of our church sucks. I need help. We suck at it. Please help me. That's what we do. Because it's better to be honest. And you've got to applaud her brutal honesty. See, one thing that's worse than being bitter is being in denial about your bitterness. Bitterness isn't the problem. But when you deny that you are bitter, you're stuffed. It's all over. I'm not bitter. Who do you think you are telling me? Imagine how this story could have looked. Naomi comes. Hey, hey, Naomi, what could have come of Naomi? Oh, it's fantastic. It's been brilliant. The kids, and, 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 and they've got a business down there. They can't come back. We're just coming back to say hello. Uh, they send their love. She goes, no, nah, my life sucks. I love it. Oh, you can do a lot with honest people. Right now, Adelaide is full of people who are struggling, who need help, but they just don't let you know because they're not honest about it. Christianity essentially is for weak people that admit they're struggling. That's where Christianity starts. I need help. That's, that's Christianity. I don't know who will be in heaven and who won't, but I know this. There will not be one proud person. Only the humble will get to heaven. Only the honest get to heaven. I love her, love her, love her. I love the honesty. God invites us, like Naomi, to be honest with him and those who are in our church family. He stands at the door and knocks and says, come, talk to me, let's talk. You who are heavy laden, you who are weary, you who are sucking at life, come to me, come. Don't have to say, no, I'm not Lord, I've got a friend, they're struggling. So no, no, just come. Come with your junk in the trunk, just come, Just, just come. Just come. Some of you would be better off just saying, I'm struggling with church right now. That would be the best thing you could ever do. Just be honest about it. And you'll get healing. And you'll get perspective. But while you deny, you get more and more miserable, more and more bitter, more and more isolated. And no one can live like that. Some of you, would, you know, I know marriage is a godly institution and I know I'm a Christian, I know my wife's a Christian, but you know, right now we suck at our marriage. You'd be better off doing that. Yeah. Don't think less of you, we'll think more of you. Yeah. You will not be shouted down in this church if you're honest. Yeah. 
Most of the shouts and arguments I have with people is just they just they just live in denial and they just refuse to acknowledge any truth that could be coming to them from me or others that love them. But Naomi was honest, bless her. The other thing I want to look at just quickly is if you're going to move from better to better, you've got to hold on to the good. And granted, Naomi had lost a lot, but she did lose perspective. And one thing I don't think she did well was she didn't hold on to the good. Because she said this, the Lord has brought me back empty. Yeah, she's being honest, but at that moment, that's not actually totally true. That moment was not being honest. That was just perspective being blown out of all sorts of proportion. Saying I'm bitter, that's true. Saying empty, not true. Because what she failed to see in all her loss is this one little girl. And it was through this little girl called Ruth that redemption was going to come. Help was going to come. Salvation was going to come. And she couldn't see anything at that moment. She'd let go of the good. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, it simply says, hold on to the good. You can acknowledge the bad. Be honest. But the worst of us, those that are suffering the most today, there's something good happening. And you've got to hold on to that. The trouble is our present realities can distort the truth. And that's what was happening here in Naomi's life. As a leader of a church, I had to sit through a compulsory exercise yesterday morning called mandatory notification training. I don't do classroom well at the best of time. Least of all when it's mandatory notification training. I sit there and there's not one ounce of my being that wants to be there. I think those who know me knew that. I sat on the back row just fidgeting. My son's playing soccer. I missed his presentation. It's a beautiful day. And I felt these words come back to me, hold on to the good. And this is what I got out of that. Elise is phenomenal. That's what I got out of it. Elise did the mandatory notification and she did it so well. She was phenomenal. She was brilliant. She was awesome. And my attitude changed as I was watching. I thought, she's good. And I felt God saying, you're missing something here. Yes, you're missing your son. And yes, and, and there's a place for that, but you're missing something. I missed my Ruth. <laughs> and I was eating humble pie on the back row. And then I kind of got into it a bit. As best I could. I wasn't, I'm not a great student. I'm sorry for that, but did my best. Got to hold on to the good. And it's for you. Only you can hold on to the good. You've got to think of something good. 
Something good is going to happen. Something good is in store. We're together again. Just praise the Lord. We should sing that too. Now all the ladies. I believe that something good is going to happen. Something good is in store. I believe that. Do you? And in closing, as our musicians come, you've got to love this. The last chapter. Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law. Arriving, you've got to get this. This is so cool. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. See, when something is finished in your life, it doesn't mean it's the end. Jesus hung upon the cross and said three words, it is finished. But he didn't say it's the end. He said, it is finished. This part of my life is over. He never said he was finished. Wow. He said, it, this part of my life is over. But I'm not over. I imagine Jesus saying, you can't get rid of me that easy. And something might be over for you. Something may be finished in your life. Could be the loss of a marriage. The loss of a job. The loss of some finance. And all these things can leave a bit of taste in your mouth. But it doesn't mean it's over. It just means there's been a finish in your life. But it doesn't mean you're finished. More tweets coming up. Thank you. When Naomi thought her life was over because of all the loss, it says the barley harvest was just beginning. And that is where her life is about to change. What took place or what takes place in the barley harvest at just the right time, in just the right place, with just the right people, her life begins to turn. And it begins to go from bitter to better. Because after she thought it was all over, there's this new beginning. See, after every beginning, there's an end. But there's a beginning again. Last night, like all of you experienced, it came to the end of the day. And the beginning of night. And we went to bed. And it was the end of night and the beginning of day. Some of the times we go through are dark and they're like night and we can't see anything. But daytime is coming. The sun's coming. The sun's beginning to come up again. And you just got to hold on to your next beginning. And to Naomi's credit, she put herself 
in the right place through being humble and being honest. Your beginning, your new beginning, can and will, I believe, come again. If you humble yourself and if you just be honest, you please stand with me. Who would have thought you'd get so much out of us? Four short chapters. We've taken three parts to get through one of them. We had to leave a lot out just to get it down to that. So much. God's word is, is pregnated with incredible truth. If the, boring, if the Bible is boring for you, you're probably reading it wrong. Just be honest about it. Let it live again. Just close our eyes just for a moment. Just reflect upon what's been shared. God grieves over your bitterness and your hurt and your pain. He doesn't judge you. He says, come. There's an invitation. Just come. You who are tired. You who are weary. The message paraphrase translation says, you who are worn out and burnt out on religion. Just come to me. And I'll give you rest. That's where it starts. It starts with getting back to the beginning. And the beginning for every person is God. First four words in the Bible say it all. In the beginning, God. For you to go back to your beginning, it's got to start with God. Christians drift from God all the time. And so Christian, come back to God. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.